Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everybody, this is Dan Lobby. And this is Mary Kay Cabin. And here we are for another Orange and Brown Talk podcast. As uh, We have an iTunes channel or uh, whatever it is now, the Apple Podcast channel. Um, you can find that Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Uh, we were actually in the top 100 at one point for uh, people subscribing to the podcast. So I don't know if that's, at least in the sports and rec section. So I don't know if that's impressive or not, but whatever. Uh, go there and subscribe. Leave us uh, some good reviews. Uh, no bad reviews, just good reviews. And uh, you, can, you can get us on your phone every day. I think we're also in the Google Play Store. So lots of good things happening for us in, in the podcast world. Yeah, and you know we even have a little music now, Dan. We're working on our logo, so yeah, we are, you know, we are not quite the Tomahawk podcast, no. but you know, we're getting close. No, who is though? Really, <laughs> um, the, our advantage though is uh, when the season comes around, we'll still be able to podcast, and hopefully, Joe Thomas will be too busy playing uh, to to get behind the microphone. But we're still waiting word on that. Yeah, I tried to get it out of him when I saw him <laughs> at the Super Bowl, but uh, I couldn't get that out of either him or. Uh, Andrew Hawkins, so we will just have to wait on that a little bit longer. Okay, so let's talk quarterbacks, because Joe was talking quarterbacks a lot uh, in, in recent podcasts. And let's start, uh, we're, we're going to go through three topics, we'll call it three and out, uh, yep. just because. Uh, we're going to talk about college quarterbacks, we're going to talk about the pro quarterbacks, and then we're going to talk about um, the front office, kind of their approach to the quarterback situation, and, and just sort of in general, uh, how that's all going to work with the, the new hires and the coaching staff, and, and of course Hugh Jackson as well. So Let's get to the college quarterbacks. The Browns have really, I mean, really four main guys to choose from. It's Josh Allen, it's Baker Mayfield, it's Josh Rosen, and it's Sam Darnold. Uh, There are a lot of people out there that really like Lamar Jackson as a prospect, but they're not going to take Lamar Jackson number one overall. Um, So those are really the four guys right now that this decision is is coming down to. You've had a chance to see two of those guys in person, Mm -hmm. uh, talk to a couple of them in, in Mobile, uh, we're going to get to see them here in a month at the Combine, or actually less than a month at this point. Yeah. Um, wh- where do you kind of stand on this college quarterback class right now? You know what? After spending that time at the Senior Bowl with Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen, uh, I really thought that I was going to come away and say, you know what, it's got to be Josh Allen. I've had uh, some people that have been really talking him up and, and uh, you know, just telling me that, you know, he's the, he's the guy. Uh, but I didn't come away from there 100% convinced that he is the guy, in part because of the inconsistency uh, with, you know, just his accuracy. 
it did bother me a little bit, although there, he makes throws that no one else can make. He's got a terrific arm. Um, so I think right now, if I were making that pick, I still would go with Sam Darnold. And I do think that still the top two contenders would be Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen. But in, in having said that, there's a lot of stuff going on right now, Dan, as you know, you know, including the fact that the Browns have hired to help them with the draft Scott McLuhan, the former Redskins GM, the former 49ers GM. He is on record as saying that he loves Baker Mayfield and that would be his guy. So that keeps Baker Mayfield in the discussion. However, I don't think that he would be the first choice of a Hugh Jackson, Ken Zampezi, Todd Haley. I don't see that he is their style of quarterback. I don't think they love the fact that he's only six feet tall. Uh, so if, if I had to make that pick right now, I would still go Sam Darnold. Yeah, it really feels like Sam Darnold is kind of the guy you can bring in and mold and kind of make into your future quarterback. I don't think he's a guy that can play right away. We're going to get into that. Um, Josh Rosen is a guy that I feel like I should love more than I do. I mean, you watch him play, and he kind of looks like the prototype, doesn't he? But then there's just some things here and there that some batted passes. You hear about maybe some personality issues, things like that. And, and some of this stuff just comes up during draft season, but they are things that teams are trying to figure out. Um, it, it seems like he should be a no-brainer, but he isn't. This is a really difficult class. It is a difficult class. And you know what? I think one of the things that I keep coming back to you know, you can line up all these quarterbacks and, and look at all their physical skills. And in my mind, so much comes down to anymore just how smart they are, mm -hmm. how, what their processing speed is, and how they can diagnose a defense in, you know, that lightning quick amount of time that you have to process <laughs> all of this. So that ability, you know, just to be so smart in terms of your football acumen and IQ is is what I think it for me anymore that is what would put a guy over the top and um, when you look back that you know that was one of the reasons I was told that that Hugh Jackson actually did prefer Carson Wentz some a lot of people don't want to believe me on that um, but that he actually did prefer Carson Wentz uh, over Jared Goff was because he had that he had that ability uh, to just you know even, you know, in those meetings to get up on that whiteboard and show you that he could regurgitate everything in your playbook. And when, when we talked to uh, John Dorsey at the Senior Bowl, that was one of the things that he mentioned about Baker Mayfield, that, that he was able to absorb and process that Oklahoma playbook right away. Now, Josh Rosen, as we know, is a brilliant yeah. guy, okay? And I'm sure Sam Darnold is very smart, too. So one of the things as we go through this process and these Cleveland Browns sit down with all of these quarterbacks and put them up on that whiteboard or get them out there and ask them to run their plays, that could separate one guy over the other if he just is just off the charts smart like that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of the thing with Baker Mayfield is, you know, it seems like he's a guy that grasps these concepts. It seems like he has the leadership ability to be a quarterback. I, it kind of comes down to, and it's, that's kind of how it is with all these guys, how, how do you feel about some of his, uh, the antics that we've seen from him? You know, do, do you like that he goes after people on Twitter sometimes? Do, do you see what happened against, uh, was, it Kansas, was it Kansas or Kansas State? It was Kansas. Kansas, yep. Uh, do you see that? and think, oh, I don't like that, I want to stay away from that? Or do you see that and think, okay, this guy's a competitor, this guy's got a little chip on his shoulder? I think that that's part of it, too. It's sort of, 
what do you like in your quarterback? Do you, do you want him to play it safe all the time, or do you kind of like a little bit of that edge? Well, you know what, Dan? I talked to a lot of people at the Senior Bowl about this very issue because some of the things that I actually witnessed with my own two eyes about Baker Mayfield at the Senior Bowl, they, they were red flags to me. There were certain things that I just didn't like about how he moved around the Senior Bowl and how he... Uh, you know, just how he behaved in, in certain ways. Uh, it was completely in contrast to Josh Allen, who would be your sort of, you know, what we've seen from a character standpoint that, you know, what we've seen from a Carson Wentz, what we just saw this past weekend from a Nick Foles kind of a guy. Um, you know, Baker Mayfield has that little bit of an edge to him and some character concerns. But are they deal breakers? I don't know. I talked to a lot of people uh, at the Senior Bowl, and I'm talking about high-level people that make decisions like this. Uh, some of them have said, no way would I touch him with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> Others have said, you know what, there's nothing, you don't have to be a really good guy to be a really good quarterback. So, uh, you know, it just depends on what you like in in a quarterback. Uh, now, one of, one of the things is, at the Super Bowl, I sat with John Filippo at his table for a long time one day, like almost an hour, and I talked to him, you know, just completely in general, I asked him the question specifically about Baker Mayfield, and I haven't even written this yet, but I will. I asked him about Baker. You know, can you have a guy in your quarterback room that is a character concern? And he said he refused to answer specifically about Baker Mayfield for a lot of different reasons, including, who knows, he could end up on a team with Baker Mayfield this year. <laughs> yeah. Because he might take a job as an offensive coordinator. So he was adamant about not answering specifically about Baker Mayfield. But he also said, that character is vitally important to him. He lived with he he lived through Johnny Manziel, yeah. so he said character in the room is vitally important. And if you have a guy that has character concerns, that you have to do your due diligence. That you have to dig in there. Now we're not making this up. Even though John Dorsey at the uh, at the Senior Bowl said, "Hey, this is the media, You know, this is a media driven thing." Well. He was arrested last year. <laughs> there, there is that video of him running from the police right. that, that you can find very easily r- right. right now. There's that. There's the crotch grab. There's the flag plant. Okay. So you have evidence that you're going to have somebody that will be somewhat of a behavioral, a behavioral challenge. I've also heard that there are, you know, you know that, that his, even his dad can be a little bit of a challenge, and sometimes that factors in to, you know, your quarterback room and all those sorts of things. So I 100% agree with John Filippo. You have to dig in and really figure out what you're dealing with here, and that is what the Browns did not do with Johnny Manziel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the thing, I mean, the glaring thing about Johnny Manziel was it was also obvious. And, uh, yeah, you know, to be fair to, to Baker Mayfield, a lot of that was, you know, Johnny Manziel had some serious addiction issues, and, and those are things that really derailed his career. We haven't heard a lot about that for Baker Mayfield, but it's maturity. Yes. They're maturity concerns. And the question is, when you get him in an NFL locker room and he's making a lot of money, are those, is that maturity, are those maturity concerns going to go away or are they going to get worse? That, that's the question teams are trying to answer about Baker Mayfield between now and, and the end of April. Yeah, and you know what? I think John Dorsey uh, has already uh, done a lot of due diligence in that regard. And now, now we know uh, that Scott... McLuhan is on board, okay? He's, you know, obviously the former general manager of the Redskins 49ers. You know, he he likes him a lot and was advising, from what I understood, John Dorsey to draft him when they were at the Senior Bowl. Um, 
but John Dorsey has already done a lot of due diligence on the character of Baker Mayfield. Even though he was out of football, he was really acting as though he were going to have to be making these decisions. Uh, he's talked to people uh, that have vouched for uh, Baker Mayfield's character, and I don't think he has that much of a problem with, with Baker's character. And we, he does have evidence of drafting character issue players in Kansas City. Yeah, guys with much worse backgrounds than, than what Baker Mayfield would bring. Right. So I think he's okay with that part of it. Uh, even, the, even the crotch grab thing, he was there for that. He was at that Kansas game in person, saw it happen. And the way that, that he described it uh, when we asked him about that at the Senior Bowl, uh, he basically seemed to, to, to take it as though, you know what, the guy is ultra-competitive, and he plays with a lot of heart and a lot of fire, and he did not seem to have a problem with that. So I think it would come down to scheme fit, coach fit. Is this somebody that, that Hugh Jackson, Todd Haley, and Ken Zampezi feel super comfortable with? Yeah, and, and I know the height thing isn't things people – it's not something people want to hear about, especially the, the people that really love Baker Mayfield. They don't want to hear about the height thing, but – it is a risk if you take a, a guy a shade over six feet tall, number one overall. It, it is a risk. You know, Russell Wilson was not the number one pick in the draft. Now, maybe if you redrafted, that would be different. Yeah. Drew Brees was not the number one pick in the draft. I, I mean, these guys that have success at that height tend to be outliers. It, it, there is a risk there. Whether it's a big risk or a small risk, I guess, is up for debate. But that's a, that's a risk to take. You know, it is a risk to take. And you have to have so many other things going for you if you are going to take that kind of a risk. Because even, you know, in talking to someone over the years, such as a Bruce Arians, he always says, you know, you have to look around the league. Are there that many of them in the league? No, there aren't. And that's because that's for a reason. You have to have so many other things going for you. And I think Baker Mayfield has a lot of things going for him. I mean, his arm strength is very good. Uh, you know, he, he does have a lot of really great physical skills uh, that would help him overcome the height issue. Uh, but I, I still think that, um, you know, that the Browns would have to look long and hard at every other thing to make sure uh, that he can compensate for that. Now, the, the other argument is, uh, and you kind of alluded to this with Josh Allen, obviously height's not an issue. But I think there's a lot of risk in taking a guy like that, too. Obviously, physically, he's the prototype. But that completion percentage, there aren't a lot of guys that had a completion percentage like that in college with that long of a track record that have been successful in the NFL. So uh, I think there's a lot of risk in taking Allen, too. Yes, and you know what? Again, I haven't had a chance to write this yet, but when I was sitting down with John Filippo in uh, uh, at the Super Bowl, I asked him about that, too. He started talking about the three things that he looks for in a, in a quarterback prospect. And he says he was adamant about the fact that, you know, if you're inaccurate in high school, that's going to carry over to college, and it's going to carry over to the pros. He <laughs> doesn't like that. And, um, and I, I don't think that, that he would, would draft a Josh Allen number one overall. And, of course, you know, we haven't had an opportunity to really dig in and talk to Hugh Jackson and – we haven't even talked to Todd Haley yet. Hopefully that yeah. will happen soon. Uh, but I would have to think that they would feel the same way, that an inaccurate college quarterback doesn't make a accurate pro quarterback. However, if there are extenuating circumstances, if you can really dig into that tape mm -hmm. and see that you didn't have the right targets, that you had too many drops, that you had a number of things that explain that, uh, 
56.2% career completion percentage, then maybe you could justify it, but it's definitely something that you have to investigate thoroughly. Yeah, the, the guy who had a ton of drops was Josh Rosen. <laughs> was, he did not get a lot of help from his uh, – I, I was watching a little bit of him. Uh, you know, I've kind of watched him throughout his career, and then I sat down and watched a bunch of his games last month. And his receivers did not help him out very much. Um, but, but, again, this quarterback class is so interesting because it is – you know, Rosen looks like he was built in the quarterback lab. Yep. Sam Darnold's been playing quarterback – not very long. Uh, USC actually tried to recruit him as a linebacker at one point. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's just really interesting, all the contrasts in this quarterback class. I have to wonder if that thing that I was talking about before, if, you know, there's so many people that are divided between Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen. I have to wonder when the NFL teams start to put them on the whiteboard and start to see what their processing speed is, if that won't separate one out from the other. Yeah, and, and we'll, we obviously didn't talk a lot about him here. We'll have a chance to talk a lot about him as we go along. Of course, uh, like I mentioned, we're going to be at the Combine at the end of the month. Um, they're going to be available to the media. Uh, we're going to get to see them work out. Um, so, so we'll kind of have a, a better idea, I think, a better handle on those two um, once we kind of go through all of that. Either way, it's very likely that whomever they draft is not going to play week one. Likely will be behind a, uh, another quarterback. So let's get into some of the Browns' options uh, at the pro level, guys that have already played in the NFL. And you know what? Let's go ahead and start with Nick Foles. Um, let, let's start there because he just won the Super Bowl MVP. You tweeted, I, I think it was during the game, actually, yep. or right after, that you think the Browns should call up Philadelphia and see what they can get or see what it might take to pry Nick Foles away yep. uh, from the Eagles. He looked so good uh, on Sunday in that Super Bowl. He looked so good the week before uh, against Minnesota. The, the Eagles did a great job of just changing their offense to really fit around him. But beyond that, I mean, he just made some really good throws that were kind of just outside of what Philadelphia was giving him. He just he was sharp Sunday. It was incredible. Talk about accuracy. I mean, <laughs> those balls that he was throwing – were right on the money. He was fitting it into tight windows. He was laser sharp accurate. And that is exactly what you need. That is exactly what the Browns need. Uh, I was very, very impressed with him uh, throughout this whole uh, pre throughout this whole postseason, especially because, again, in talking to DiFilippo, who helped get him to this point and win that Super Bowl as the quarterback's coach of the Eagles. And, of course, I'm talking about the former Browns offensive coordinator. And... Um, you know, he reminded all of us that uh, that he had that Nick Foles did not participate in training camp at all, which <laughs> is really when you get your timing down. Yeah. It's when your backup quarterback has his only chance to get some first team reps to get to know the guys that he's going to be throwing to. He did not participate in training camp at all because he had an elbow elbow injury so it makes it even more remarkable and then of course when you get into the season you don't get those reps you're basically running the scout team yeah so you are not getting any of those reps with the starters and trying to figure out your timing and the nuances and where a guy likes to you know have a ball over this shoulder or that shoulder or this you know how he shades I mean you just don't have that chance and somehow he just went out there and made it look like uh, you know, that he had been with these guys for five years or something like that. I think part of it was the fact that there's three former quarterbacks running the Philadelphia Eagles offense <laughs> in Doug Peterson, former Browns quarterback. Yeah. Uh, and who, is, then, who beat Bill Belichick yes, as a player with the Browns. Absolutely. I mean, just all kinds of little twists and turns here. Uh, and then Frank Reich, of course, and John DeFilippo, who was 
uh, also a, a quarterback in college. Uh, so, you know, those guys, they know how to work with quarterbacks. They know how to develop quarterbacks. But if I were the Browns, I would jump on that phone and see if they will move Nick Foles. Now, of course, they probably won't, but it's worth a call. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it, it's just I know they use that bye week as kind of a pseudo training camp for Foles, and it's a real credit to that coaching staff how they, they kind of approached that and, and were able to win that Super Bowl with their backup quarterback. You know, the concern with Foles is you get him out, you get him away from that coaching, and maybe he turns back into the Nick Foles that he was before he got to Philadelphia. But, I, I'm, I mean, it's a call you've got to make. You've got to see what it costs. Yeah. You've got three second-round picks. Yes. You know, I, 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 am a, I am an advocate of using those three second-round picks to maneuver in the draft or find a, a quarterback uh, who could come in and start for a little while. Three second-round picks, not, you're not going to get three guys that are going to start for 10 years in the no. second round. Use one or two of those picks to make your roster better right now. Absolutely. And two of them are very high second round picks, very yeah. attractive. Number 33 and number 35 overall. I would have to think that you could package, uh, you know, one of those picks and something else. Now, we know that they were willing to give a second and a third for A.J. McCarron. So, um, you know, so I would definitely, definitely consider. And they were willing to give up a second-round pick for Alex Smith, too. Mm -hmm. So we know that they're willing to part with one of the second-round picks, or at least one of the second-round picks, for a good quarterback. So, uh, And you know what? That's not lost on the league either. And the Eagles and the Browns obviously have done business before, unfortunately, for <laughs> Browns fans. Uh, they have made a blockbuster trade before. Yeah. Uh, so the, uh, we know the lines of communication are open uh, between the two clubs. And... Um, I would absolutely be on the phone. You know, you've got to throw Nick Foles into the mix uh, along with some of these other veteran quarterbacks. And, and the other thing, too, before we get to some other names is uh, you can't add. I don't think you can add that many rookies again. No. I mean, they've added 24 rookies to this roster. Obviously, not all of them are still here, but they've added 24 rookies to this roster over the last two years. You can't add. Nope all of these picks as rookies yeah. right back into that locker room. You've got to find, you've got to use some of these picks elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, use them as uh, trade bait, as trade capital. That, that is the perfect thing to do in this draft. Although I will say that now you've got, you know, we'll get into this a little bit more in our third down, but, um, but, you know, you've got really good talent evaluators on the team now. And I have a lot more faith in them to find those guys in the fourth round and the fifth round and maybe even the sixth round that you will find talent on this team. And they are going to need an infusion of talent on this football team. Uh, another name, of course, you brought him up, A.J. McCarron, uh, backup quarterback in Cincinnati. Uh, they tried to get him at the trade deadline for a second and a third. Uh, you know, I didn't go back and watch a ton of A.J. McCarron, but, you know, I don't think he's as bad as people want him to be. I don't think he's a game-changing type talent. He's not going to come in here and be your quarterback for the next five years. But, you know, if this team ends up with A.J. McCarron for a decent price, I, I mean, I think you could do worse. Yes. You know what? I actually think uh, that that would be a really great move for them. I really do. Because he wants to start. He would, I'm sure, be thrilled to come here, not only with Hugh Jackson, but now Ken Zampezi. Uh, you know, he's waited for his opportunity. Those guys really like him and we know that because they tried to trade for him uh so i think this would be a perfect move for him and for the browns and he fits that bridge quarterback you're not going to have to pay him 30 million dollars a year like you would have to pay kirk cousins yeah. 
I mean, why would you want to do that when you're pretty darn sure that you're going to be able to find your quarterback of the future at number one overall? Somebody's got to be the guy, whether it's Darnold, Rosen, Allen, Mayfield. You're probably going to get your guy very early on in this draft. So why do you want to go spending $30 million a year on Kirk Cousins, who, you know, I mean, you know, he went 7-9 and nine last year. It's not like... You know, it's not like he took the team to the Super Bowl or anything like that. And I know he's very, very good, but I think that they can find what they need in a bridge quarterback for less than $30 million a year. Yeah, I think so, too. And, and you know, I, I kind of took a look at Kirk Cousins last week, and it was actually interesting. You look at the last three years, statistically, he's almost identical to Matthew Stafford, even from a team success standpoint. They've each made the playoffs once. They've each been right around 500. Um, and Matthew Stafford got that huge contract extension, which a lot of people thought was a little much for a guy like that. And I like Matthew Stafford. I think he's a good quarterback. But, you know, are you going to pay that much to bring in Kirk Cousins and you don't even know what his – I mean, if – I know 9-7 and seven sounds great for Browns fans, but if that's his ceiling – is that the guy you want as your quarterback for the next five years? Yeah, and you know what? I mean, the other thing is you want a quarterback that really wants to be here. Yeah. And he moved around Radio Row at the Super Bowl telling anybody who would listen that he wants to go to a winner, he wants to go to a contender. Uh, you know, I, I really think that, you know, he'll end up in Denver or or somewhere where he can win big in his first year. And the truth of the matter is, even though I think the Browns can win games next year, they still have a lot of pieces and parts and holes to fill, and I don't know if they're poised uh, to really make a playoff run next year. No, probably not. <laughs> probably not, even if you end up, you know, I mean, obviously a, a really good quarterback changes things dramatically in the same way that Jimmy Garoppolo turned things around when he went out to San Francisco. But realistically speaking, even with a very, very good quarterback, you know, you want the Browns, to win seven or eight games next year and then take it to the next level, hopefully the next year. Um, are, are we forgetting any uh, key veteran names? We've got McCarron through Foles in the mix, Kirk Cousins. They've already struck out on Alex Smith. Um, the, you know, there, there's guys like Chase Daniel out there. Mm-hmm. there. There'll be some guys like that as, as well. Well, you have to look at anybody that might shake out from the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. So you've got the Sam Bradfords, the Case Keenums. You know, you've got that tier of quarterback. Now, the thing with Sam Bradford that you have to worry about is he can't stay healthy. I mean, <laughs> Which he, is not ideal for a bridge quarterback. No, I mean, he can play football. You know, he has demonstrated that he can play. And, you know, if you, if you knew that you could keep the guy healthy, I mean, he's de- he would definitely be a good option. But... Like you said, it's not the chance that you want to take with your bridge quarterback because all of a sudden you're going to be starting, you know, Sam Darnold in week two. And then you've got to factor in Deshaun Kaiser, too. If your rookie isn't ready and you still have Deshaun Kaiser on the roster, if your bridge quarterback, you know, got hurt early on, you might be able to go to Deshaun if he has demonstrated in the offseason that he's improved his accuracy and that he's not going to be throwing interceptions. Um, but for the most part, I, I don't think you can take the risk on a Sam Bradford. Um, so that that leaves Case Keenum depending on what they do with him. Yeah, we kind of learned that lesson a few years ago when they kind of wanted to keep Cody Kessler nice and hidden on that roster, but they put RG3 in front of him and Josh McCown in front of him. And yep. It was really no shock. It happened maybe quicker than most people expected, but it was really no shock when those guys got hurt and right. you had to turn to Kessler. So. Uh, anybody can get hurt, but you've got to pay attention to a guy like Bradford who 
It's happened over and over again. He had two healthy seasons before this year, but you just you just don't know with a guy like that. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because uh, he is good. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if, if like I said, if you had some kind of crystal ball and could tell that he was going to stay healthy, uh, you know, he can play football, but just unfortunate. All right, our third down, our, our final down here, we're going three and out, just like the, the Browns offense loves to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk about this new front office. It is continues to add guys uh, with experience in this league. Scott McLuhan, the latest, he'll be doing some consulting work uh, leading up to the draft. Beyond that, we'll see what happens. Uh, this is a guy that was a GM in Washington, was a mm-hmm. GM uh, in San Francisco, spent time in, in Green Bay with John Dorsey, um, had some personal issues that kind of prevented him from staying in those positions. Uh, now here he is in Cleveland, talked up Baker Mayfield a ton. What does his addition kind of mean to this front office? Well, first of all, you know, when you look at it, what he's been doing since he's been out of football, uh, he has been running a scouting service and he's been consulting with other NFL teams. So he's been helping teams, you know, with their drafts and things like that. And he he has a reputation as a very, very good talent evaluator. So I think the thing that Browns fans can take some heart in is the fact that they've got a lot of good football eyes in that building now. And that is exactly what they needed. And the more football guys like that, and people get so mad when you talk about football (laughs) guys, the more, let's just call them talent evaluators. I don't know how anybody could have a problem with anybody thinking that it's a good idea to have good evaluators (laughs) in your scouting department. Um, But anyways, so uh, the Browns have a lot of those kind of guys now. And that was the one thing that really stuck out at the senior bowl was I had just people coming up to me all over the place and saying, Oh my gosh, you know, they've got, you know, John Dorsey's such a good evaluator and Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith. And now they've got Scott McLuhan. And there's so many people in the league that will tell you uh, that he is a good evaluator and um, I think that's going to be very important. Now, he does really like Baker Mayfield. He's on record on the Doug Gottlieb show as saying that. Now, that was back in October. And, again, I do think that it has to be a fit with what your coaches mm-hmm. want. And the difference between the Sashi Brown regime and the John Dorsey regime is I think they're going to listen to the coaches. I think they're going to try. If they want to be successful here, I think they're going to try to fit guys uh, to what Hugh Jackson and Greg Williams are trying to do. Yeah, yeah. There, there was a great tweet that I saw after the Super Bowl. I can't remember who it was, but but they basically said, you know, here's a team in Philadelphia who was a very heavy analytics organization that won the Super Bowl. And then there was another team that was very analytics heavy that went 0-16. And it kind of just shows that, like, it's a tool, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. I mean, the, the Eagles have right. a lot of football guys, too, you right. know? And they've relied on analytics in-game and right. in their process, you know? There's nothing wrong with it, but you no. also need to have the ability to evaluate talent and kind of mix the two together. And, you know, obviously the Browns are going a little more old school, but it's still a part of the process regardless. It's just not 100% of the process, which, which was kind of the initial mistake. Right. And, you know, both teams that were in the Super Bowl rely very heavily yeah, on I mean, it. New, New England is... Yes. Really the groundbreaking team and all of that. Exactly. So, you know, this is not like when I ran into uh, Mike Holmgren at the Super Bowl. This is not about no more analytics. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is not about that because uh, analytics has a place and a role in the NFL. It's been around for a long time. This is not something new. 
It's just that the way the Browns tried to do it is they left out that big piece of having your top decision makers uh, have talent evaluating experience. And now, uh, now they have plenty of that in the building along with the analytics. I will say, however, I do think now that there are too many cooks in the kitchen. <laughs> and it's not that there are too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. It's that they're from different restaurants. <laughs> You've got way too many people from two really different philosophies all crammed together in your building. Now, I think this will change once the draft is over. I don't think John Dorsey wants to go around firing too many people before the draft is over because these guys have all put in so much work. Uh, in the meantime, he's got to add good people now when he can get them. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's a little bit crowded in there, and I've, I've maintained this from the start. If you are going more old school, you don't need, and I still firmly believe this, that you don't need somebody of, of Paul Podesta's caliber uh, as your chief strategy officer if your strategy isn't analytics. So I think he's overqualified for this job and that, you know, that he should be either either staying here and changing his philosophy or working somewhere where it's all about analytics. So, Yeah, it almost feels like his role is now more non-football yeah. almost. They put him in a different department. They moved Ken Kovash over there. Right. Um, it, it feels like they put more of a division um, in between that. And Paul Podesta isn't necessarily going to be in John Dorsey's ear, you know, saying, Hey, here's the value of trading the number four pick and, and all of this. So it, it is sort of a strange, a strange setup. It, it, you kind of feel like it's only a matter of time before somehow or other, he's, he's just no longer in the organization. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll see how it goes. And again, you know, I do think that there is, uh, a place for, obviously, a place for analytics in football. It's just a matter of uh, how big of a place that is and how they're all going to work together. And it's going to take a while to get that figured out. The first year is not going to be smooth sailing that way. It's not going to be smooth <laughs> yeah. sailing between the old school and the new school in the building. It always takes time to figure out who's doing what, whose role, who has this role, who has the most say, who has the most power, who has a voice, who doesn't have a voice, how do the coaches factor in. Uh, this is all stuff that has to be worked through. Yeah, and Dorsey, for, to his credit, I mean, he worked with one of the most forward-thinking coaches in Kansas City and Andy Reid, you know, a guy, the Doug Peterson. Uh, Doug Peterson came from that tree. Right. Um, you know, Matt Nagy, of course, is a guy that had – I mean, John Dorsey has worked with yep. that, that type of thing. I mean, Andy Reid has brought a lot of college – college concepts, his offense, things like that. So I, 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 I struggle to think that Dorsey doesn't have an open mind for this stuff. Right. But again, it's just, it's trying to add back in that level of, yes. like, I'm watching a game and I know what I'm seeing. Yes. And, and now the analytics is more supportive as opposed to driving the train. Well, you know, it just reminds me of being back at that senior bowl in 2016. And, you know, that was a senior bowl that I just did nothing but basically focus on Carson Wentz mm -hmm. the whole entire time that I, that I was there. Just watched his footwork, his, uh, you know, just how the ball came out, how, where he went with the ball, how he handled himself in that, that whole entire senior bowl. And I asked, again, I keep coming back to John Filippo in this conversation, but I asked him, you know, when did you know that Carson was the guy? And he said it was like the first day of that <laughs> senior bowl because you could see it. Yeah. Well, that was Sashi's first senior bowl, his first time on the job. And I, Hugh Jackson and Sashi sat next to each other every day in the stands. And 
you know, Hugh had to basically kind of explain to Sashi, here's what we're looking for. Here's mm-hmm. what you look for in a quarterback. You know, that's not how this should work. He should have been sitting there with a John. So it was different this year because you're, he's sitting there with John Dorsey who can say, well, no, here's what I'm seeing in the quarterback. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, your talent evaluators should uh, be better evaluators or at least as good as your coaches. Well, and here's the other thing. Philly might have been very analytics heavy, but they weren't trading out of super high picks. Right. <laughs> they were drafting some very, very good players. Absolutely. Um, with, with, with some of their high picks. And yeah. So, so it's going to be interesting to kind of see how all that comes together. Yep. Um, you know, again, no one – you'd say football guys and people are like, oh, you – you're from <laughs> yeah. 1982. Well, exactly. no, no, no one thinks like that. We all understand. I mean, like you said, New England is one of the four. I mean, they've been one of the forward thinkers in the analytics game forever. And look how successful they've been. No one is opposed to that. It's just, right. it's a tool. It's not yeah. necessarily what needs to drive every element of the organization. Right. I, I can promise you that there is no organization in the NFL other than the Cleveland Browns that ever <laughs> tried to run two very, very, very important drafts without your highest, highest level people having run successful drafts before and had a, some kind of talent evaluation background. Well, what they did do is they got John Dorsey a ton of cap space and a ton of draft picks. Yes, so they, they did. So they certainly did. I mean, if that was their goal, and it seems like that was part of their goal to, to kind of set things up for 2018, they certainly accomplished that. Wow, they really did. And you cannot fault them for that. And I think it's actually unfortunate that, um, you know, that it had to end all the way that it did because if Sasha just – if they just would have listened to me from the first <laughs> year, Dan, when I said kick him upstairs and make him president and let him continue to – wheel and deal and run the salary cap and make trades and acquire assets and all those things. But then you ha- then add in a, you know, a, a John Dorsey or an Elliot Wolf, you know, right underneath him as the GM with final say over the piece of it where you have to be able to pick the good players, then, you know, we probably wouldn't have had to have this big breakup and shakeup. Well, that's what happened, and now it's uh, now it's onto the draft in April. We are going to be at the combine, of course, um, at the end of the month. That's always interesting. Um, like like I said, we get to hear from a lot of these guys. They've all been coached up and trained by then, and they're probably not going to say anything too wild or out of the ordinary. But it's at least a, a good chance to to stand next to some of these guys and, and hear them talk and, and see, especially these quarterbacks, see if they have kind of that face of the franchise because that is part of it. Yes, that it is, is part of it. It is part of it. And, and you know what? And that's where, you know, it was funny because Baker Mayfield went to the senior bowl, you know, to let people know that he was not Johnny Manziel. That's what he wanted to do. And like I said, I saw a few things there uh, that that made me think he's got a little ways to go. He's got some growing up to do. And it's not just what I saw with my own two eyes. It's what a lot of people told me that they saw and heard about that maturity level. So the Browns have to really uh, figure out if if he can be that face of the franchise and, and that, you know, he's not going to be an issue in that way. All right. Well, that will do it for our, uh, our latest edition of Orange and Brown Talk. Again, like I said, we have this on its own channel now. So uh, make sure you subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, iTunes, whatever you want to call it. And also, I believe we're on Google Play now as well. So check that out and leave us five-star ratings. That's what yes, we want. We want we five that. star ratings. We definitely. Uh, so need leave that. those if, uh, if you like what you heard. If you didn't like it, eh, maybe just skip leaving a rating for us <laughs> uh, this, this time around and give us a chance next time. 
Uh, so for Mary Kate Cabot, I am Dan Lobby, and thanks for listening, everybody.